Hello, everybody. Uh, welcome to this fourth episode of my podcast, Sporting Soul. Uh, today, it is a privilege for the fourth week in a row to have another good friend of mine on here. Uh, let's welcome in avid sport f- sports fan, uh, Bowling Green, current Bowling Green student. He'll be a sophomore next year. And a close friend of mine, Mr. Dylan Bush. Hello, Dylan. Hey, what's going on, Patrick? Thanks for having me. Well, thank you for coming on today as we look to game four of the NBA Finals tonight. And it's been a really interesting series so far. Yeah, I would agree. Uh, a lot of narratives, a lot of good things if you're in the media and if you're a basketball fan, it's been some great basketball. Yes. Yeah, I feel like there's been like so many moving parts to this series. Like you've got Durant and Leonard potentially splitting after the season's over. Durant's injury, Thompson's injury, the greatness of Curry, uh, Siakam having a breakout year, Van Bleet kind of finding himself. Danny Green's been playing well. Boogie Cousins has been on and off. I feel like it's, it's so different from in past years where it was just LeBron versus the Warriors. What do you What do you think about that? Uh, I think the first thing I found interesting was since 2015, the Warriors have been making the finals, and every time they make it, there's always some narrative with the injury besides the year the Cavs came back 3-1. That was the one year everybody was healthy for that I remember besides, I guess, the Durant year, but that there, uh, there was just no chance that team was going to get beat. Mm-hmm. They, were, yeah, they were still pretty fresh and whatnot, and I think the Cavs were a little fatigued. Uh, love I feel like even now, Love still has troubles trying to figure out who he is. So I think this is the first time the Warriors have had to deal with the injuries. It's always been, well, Kevin Love's shoulder got dislocated. Kyrie's knee was broken or whatever. And then just nagging injuries throughout. And then um, last year, LeBron just literally, if his teammates were injured, you couldn't even tell because it was just LeBron. Yeah. So it's weird to see the Warriors having to almost pull LeBron this year, especially Curry having to put the team on the back. It's crazy. I, I never – that was the one thing with him I always worried about was, is he good enough to carry a team by himself or is he always going to need the sidekick? And honestly, after game three, they might have lost, but Steph Curry proved to me that he yeah. is one of the elite point guards. Absolutely. Like, ever. Absolutely. It, it it was really easy to draw comparisons between – uh, Curry's performance and some of those vintage LeBron performances like 2015 after Kyrie got hurt in game one uh, last year in game one before he before he tweaked his wrist uh, I think that Curry definitely proved himself like if if the Warriors were to have their worst case scenario this offseason if uh, Durant split if Clay went to the Clippers and Cousins is probably leaving no matter what if that kind if that kind of apocalyptic scenario happens, I think Golden State could still be a playoff team. Yeah, I agree. They could definitely sneak in as six, seven, or eight, just willing off Steph. But you got to look at it though. He's thirty one now or thirty, mm-hmm. and I don't know how much you want to be pushing him as a smaller guy in the league who's had history with ankle issues and injuries. At that point, you you'd need a second person. Like yes. that's a performance you could get in the playoffs, but I don't want that as my full year Stephen Curry experience. Yeah. So Golden State, they're getting back Clay Thompson tonight. They're still without Durant. I'm not sure we'll see him again in a Warriors uniform, but we can get to that later. But uh, Clay, I think I think a lot of people are talking about this. Golden State missed the defense of Clay even more so than his offense. I agree. I mean, the biggest thing in the NBA with sw- is switching now. You just throw guys out there, and anytime you get a pick and roll, the easiest way to, sw- to stop it is just switching it. And if you have matchups, you can do that. I yeah. think they, they threw out Livingston to start off with to try to replicate that, but Livingston's just not the defender that Clay is. I mean, Clay was giving you offense is just a benefit at this point from Clay. He was picking up Kawhi, and then if he got into a pick and roll with like Lowry. Or with Siakam, he was picking up either of those guys. While Steph, not not to pick on him, but he is sitting in the corner guarding uh, da- Danny Green, <laughs> while yeah. Clay is running around. And they didn't have that one extra defender because 
Iggy can play good defense and so can Draymond, but I think Draymond's at his best when he's offensive energy mm-hmm. and getting guys involved. And when he's putting so much uh, effort on defense, I think he kind of suffers for it. Yeah. I feel like, yeah, I, f- I feel like what you said is accurate. Both, both Steph and Clay, they're frequently men in motion. So I think a lot, a lot of the losses the Warriors suffered without Clay uh, was kind of an energy drain. I feel like they looked a little tired. I'd agree. I think another thing for the Warriors to have any chance to win without Clay, they just need a guy to just like actually make baskets on their team. I mean, outside of Steph, like I saw something at the end of the game. It was like Steph had like eight less points than the rest of the team, or nine less points. Yeah, and it was like. Absurd. He took like twelve or fifteen less shots. I know not ever like a team is never going to be as efficient as a player, and especially Steph Curry as a player. But I mean, guys were missing open shots, and when the when the Raptors have a guy trailing Curry at all times, and they're always doing everything off the screen, they're leaving Draymond open, Iggy open, and you could subtract that one three he made at the end of Game Two to clinch it. I would let. Andre Iguodala shoot a three-pointer every single possession yeah. if I was Nick Nurse in the Raptors. Yep. So they're one bucket getter away from being competitive completely in the series, and that's what Clay gives you. Yeah. like Steph Curry said after game two that he felt like uh, Nick Nurse disrespected Iguodala by leaving him open, but percentage-wise it's... I've... Are you there? Yeah. Oh, sorry. Sorry. <laughs> Yeah, um, yeah. percentage-wise, you're letting Iggy shoot every time. Um, I think w- along with that, too, they have these, like, moments in the offense where, like, they set a good down screen or something or a pick for Steph on, a like, a running when he's running around, and Draymond's just, like, sitting up there completely wide open, and it's not open, and the offense kind of stalls for a second or two, and it seems like those possessions are the possessions where they don't have a chance, and – as much as Steph Curry can run around, they just need guys to be able to stretch the floor. And it's to, it's, to me, it's crazy because they're the team that started this whole thing. And now they seem to be having trouble with getting guys to be able to shoot. It's kind of like uh, the, the chickens have come home to roost. Now the Warriors are kind of getting beat at their own game. It's they are. They run out there. The Raptors run out there, a starting lineup of Lowry, Siakam, Leonard, Danny Green, and Marcus All. And all of those dudes can shoot threes pretty good. And I'm, I would not want to leave any of those guys open. And they they left Marcus All open all first game, and he made him pay for it. Yeah, I like. I'm watching this. I'm watching these games with my dad, and he talks about like, like when he was younger, watching in the 80s and 90s, those big men, they wouldn't take those threes. But now they're able to take threes. And that's part of the revolution. And really, the Warriors don't have an answer for that. Cousins is not a good three-point shooter. It, yeah. it's, com- it's completely different. The Warriors have changed the game, and now they're kind of getting steamrolled by the changes that they brought into the league. Yeah, I'll tell you another another key asset they're missing is Looney. I think I I did not realize the impact of Looney to that Portland series and to a lesser extent the first two series. He, he's uh, going to get paid this summer. Somebody oh, yeah. is generous. And I He'll, think I think with him too, he plays such better defense than Cousins, and he would be willing to go contest those threes from Gasol. Cousins like just can't even run, and anything any ability he had. Before those, the Achilles and the quad is gone. He is so unathletic yeah. out there right now and so immobile that it's hurting the Warriors. Cousins, Cousins is not himself. I mean, you. I mean, people, people like people like to say that. Oh, the Warriors still have without Cousins, but he's he's not the Cousins we're used to in Sacramento, even in New Orleans. I feel like, I feel yeah. like he's he's going to need. This summer is going to be big for him in terms of kind of like getting a new sort of program together to rehabilitate himself for his next team. And that's why I'm wondering, you know, are any of these teams going to take a flyer and do the Warriors kind of just throw him a sympathy offer and say, listen, we'll sign you back for another $5 million and give you another shot at this because 
we thought you'd come back and be what you were in New Orleans or like 85% of that. And compared to what he was in New Orleans, he was averaging like 25 and 10 when he got hurt. He, yeah. I mean, he's at like 40, 50% of what he was. Mm-hmm. And his, like, he never had the most like athleticism, but he could always sneaky uh, move his way around and get in for a layup or pump fake in the paint. And he just can't even do that anymore. And, yeah. and I, I'm, I think uh, an injuries like these had, those take time, not just like, okay, you've rehabbed and you're good to go. Like you need to get like some serious run in game to get comfortable. And then they just kind of threw him back in there for the finals. And I don't blame him. Um, but I think after he plays 28 minutes in a game and then Steve Kerr starts him for the next game, I don't know about that move. Right. Yeah, I he his free agency is uh, very interesting to me. I'm just very interested to see where he ends up and what kind of dollars he gets. Yeah, I agree. Um, you know who else I'm really liking on this team? I'm in, I'm in love with McKinney's game. I really like him off the bench. Yeah. He he's been a solid piece. He's like guys like Cousins had a terrible game three, and Jarebko has been pretty shoddy. But I feel like McKinney McKinney's been all right. He's he's been a solid piece, and the thing with him is he he can't get a single call to go his way. He's been called for two reach-in fouls on Lowry, where Lowry was pulling up for three with no intention to make it, and mm-hmm. he's been called for fouls. And I'm like, I'm thinking if he finds a way to get in the league for a couple of years and get a name for himself and start really developing, he'll start getting some of those calls. He could be like a maybe even a potential All Defense guy because he's switching on Kawhi. He has some breakdowns here and there, but he's young. But he's got the tools. I I really like his game. He's a yeah. Warriors player for sure. Yeah, he this year he played seventy two games, up from fourteen last year with Toronto and kind of spot duty. Um, he played fourteen minutes a game, four point seven points, three point four rebounds, and not, not bad at all. I I feel like, and in the postseason, he's kind of showed that his game is. A little bit more, kind of three dimensional than we imagined. I, th- I feel like he's been a pleasant surprise for I, Steve Kerr. I agree. Um, I don't know how much we want to talk about the finals, but one other thing I liked in the finals was uh, Game One. The Warriors starting to mount and come back a little bit, and for whatever odd reason, Nick Nurse, who has made some bold decisions this series, had another one that paid off, and he brought in McCaw. And McCaw hit an absolute dagger out of yeah. nowhere. And then he just got subbed right back on the bench. Like a total pinch hit home run call right there. Yeah. And it was unbelievable. And if you're a Warriors fan, that hurts. Because I think he really wanted to come back. And they just didn't have the money. Or didn't want to give him the money. And he even went to Cleveland for a little bit. And he awesome. made more for it. I was going to say, that was like a weird episode earlier this year where the Warriors, I think they briefly called for a, a league investigation of the Cavs that would have resulted in them giving up their first-round pick. Which, like, it never came to anything, but that that almost kind of developed into almost a story of sorts. So, yeah, yeah and I, Nick, Nick Nurse, he's a, he's, a, he's a great coach, I feel like. Yeah, they said he won Coach of the Year in the G League like mm-hmm. 10 years ago. He makes they – they kept calling him a progressive coach, and I would have to agree with that. Mm-hmm. He is very much pace and space, chuck threes, but let Kawhi be Kawhi. And, yeah. Um, he knows he's a balance. And I, I'm really thinking – I've been like everybody says Kawhi's gone, and I'm like, man, if you're Kawhi, I mean, I, I get you probably don't want to be in cold Toronto. I think he's from California, <laughs> and he's had said that before that he's wanted to go there, but – Man, you have a team that's surrounded just for you. Nick Nurse puts you in position to score. Good offense. You have good players. All these dudes are in their prime, minus Gasol probably and Ibaka. I mean, yeah, I would, I would definitely consider staying if I were Kawhi. Yeah, that's a good segue into our next topic, which is the burgeoning subject of NBA free agency and the upcoming silly season, if you will. Yesterday, we saw Brooklyn ship on out Alan Crabb to Atlanta in a cap-clearing move, and they say that the Nets are serious about pairing Durant and Irving. 
So meet the, meet the Nets, meet the Nets, step right up and greet the Nets. Oh. <laughs> uh, I think it was Worldwide Bob, Rob Perez, had the perfect tweet describing the trade. He was like, this is just a, such a perfect trade because what Atlanta do, is doing, they're gathering assets um, mm-hmm. and they pick up uh, a bad contract in Crab, but it doesn't matter. They're not in contention to win. They're not trying to sign KD. They're trying to get a good player in the draft. Yeah. Maybe they could even move up if they wanted to trade a pick. And if you're Brooklyn, you cleared up cap. It took you like a late round pick that probably wasn't going to do much to make your team better. (laughs) It it was just a perfect best of both worlds scenario. Oh yeah. I think if, if I'm a Nets fan, this is a, this is a very exciting time. I I said this, um, you you know, I write for that baseball website, Diamond Digest, and there's a couple Mm -hmm. of friends there who are Nets fans. And I, I said, that's it. They made their Jared Jack trade, which is, the cap clearing move the Cavs made in 2014 to sign LeBron. And I feel like they've kind of crossed, they've crossed the Rubicon. They're all in now. Yeah. I like that Nets team. Uh, Kenny Atkinson's a great coach. I'm really interested, interested to see what this whole D'Angelo Russell situation is going to play out with. That's, that's going to be I've interesting. They got to renounce him. Yeah. I've heard conflicting things. I've heard they want to pair him with Kyrie. And I've also heard that Kyrie is his replacement. I don't know. Yeah, Kyrie and D'Angelo. I'm not. I'm not a hundred percent sure how I feel about the, How I feel about that. I feel like their games are too similar. So while it'd be nice to have the the Ohio gang in Brooklyn, I feel like one's not one's not going to be there next year. Not sure. Not not sure which one though. Not sure which one. Yeah, I like. Uh, I always listen to the Bill Simmons podcast, especially when he's talking with Ryan Rosillo, <laughs> and he's like. Like, who the heck are these guys going to, like, defend? Like, who is D'Angelo Russell or Kyrie Irving going to guard? Yeah. Uh, both of them always did the Seth Curry where they'd guard the two guard who wasn't good or they guard the three or the point guard who wasn't good. And if you're both out there, I mean, someone's got to guard someone. Like, if James Harden rolls into town, like, who's guarding him? And who's yeah. going to try to stop him? Yeah. I've Now, if you get Durant – um, if you can get Durant and Irving on the Nets, I feel like they're the are they the are they the East, they're the East favorites right away if that happens. I feel like if they can, um, depending if, on if Kawhi leaves, if Kawhi leaves, then yes, without a doubt. If if Russell if they renounce Russell and they're able to snag both Durant and Irving, I feel like they're they they've kind of they're at least headed going to the Eastern Conference semifinals. I feel like. Even even regardless of, there might be some kind of chemistry issues. We know about both Durant and Irving are kind of like one of a kind personalities. But I feel I feel like they're both free agents, right? So they're both making the decision for themselves. So I feel like that if they if they kind of make this decision together and feel and feel good about it, I feel like the Nets are in fantastic shape. I, I'd agree. Um, I think the only two teams I would consider is Philly and Toronto. And I'm, even if the Raptors end up winning this whole thing, still not convinced Kawhi's coming back. Um, and if you're Philly, gonna be interesting. if you're Philly, I'm I'm not sure about what that roster is going to look like game one of the 2019-2020 season. I have heard so many stories and reports and rumors and what they should do. That team doesn't fit well uh, I, with Ben Simmons not being able to shoot, with Embiid limited shooting, with Butler not being a knockdown shooter, and with Harris, who was reduced to a catch-and-shoot player, even though he's shown ability to put up 25 a night. I don't know how that team is going to pan out. But it's going to be if, interesting. Yeah, if Irving and Durant can mix in there and they can play well together and – Jared Allen steps his game up, and they get another swingman and just a couple of good role players. That team is really solid. You're talking about Brooklyn, right? Brooklyn, yes. Dinwiddie is – I love Dinwiddie's game. I don't know if you know. My dad's favorite player is Spencer Dinwiddie. We had him on the Pistons. Of course. There was a brief stint stint where Brandon Jennings' Achilles had given out, and we hadn't traded for Eddie Jackson yet. And Uh, Dinwiddie started like – four or five games and he had been playing really well. Yeah. And then Ray Jackson showed up and took all of his minutes 
He couldn't buy a second. And that's famous with Stan Van Gundy, who refuses to play younger players, apparently. That's a pretty famous thing with him. And um, we just traded – I remember exactly what we traded him for. We traded Spencer Dinwiddie and a second rounder for Cameron Barristow. If you're asking who that is, uh, that's exactly the right answer. Who is that? He was some G League guy, I think, maybe. I don't even know. Maybe he's in China. And regardless, Dinwiddie ended up panning out. Who thought the 6'6 point guard with a whole repertoire of skills would ever pan out? (laughs) I just – I, I don't know. I don't want to rant on your podcast. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Oh, no, no, that's all right. That is That might be the most Detroit Pistons trade I've ever heard. And there have been some Pistons trade over the Pistons trades over the years, especially the ones involving Van Gundy. And you, I don't know this, if you knew this or not, but apparently we had, we had Middleton at one point, and we traded him as yeah. like, oh, yeah, we'll just throw him in for the Brandon Jennings trade. <laughs> I love Brandon Jennings, but apparently they were just like, they would have accepted it anyway, and they're just like, oh, here's a sweetener. Here's this guy, 6'8", small forward, shooting guard, he can shoot. It, it just take him. I, and, now we have, and now we have links in Galloway, so I guess all is well. Yeah, yes. Eastern Conference champions, 2020, Detroit Pistons. Yeah, I hear, I've been hearing a lot of optimistic rumors that the Pistons are going to get Drew Holiday or Mike Conley. <laughs> And I'm just looking at our cap room, just dwindling. It's it's already in the negative. Did it, did it, I, yeah, I thought I saw they they have one of the worst cap situations this summer. I'm gonna look at right now practical cap space. Yeah, they don't have. They just have about nothing. They have a lot of little contracts that have been adding up. Plus, Josh Smith is still making five million a year. Oh my god. Uh, like I think John Luer has like a like a year or two left and he's making 11 million a year. Uh, Ish Smith's making 7 million. I mean, they, they just got cap money tied up in guys that don't need it. <laughs> Reggie, Reggie Jackson's making 17 a year. I mean. All right. Uh, yes. The Pistons have negative 9.6 million in practical cap space. Yeah. Well, that's what happens. That's that's what get that's what the eight seed gets you, Patrick. Just yeah. Let you know. <laughs> so the top top ten practical cap space. So we we can do a quick kind of go over the situations situations. Uh, number one, the Knicks, and obviously we know what their end game is. They want yeah. Durant. They want the Durant Irving partnership, and I I I'm honestly I, I'm rooting for them to get Durant and Kemba Walker because I feel like that. You you get Durant, who is obviously a top three, top five player in the NBA, and you get Walker, who I feel like is a a good guard to complement Durant, and you put him in, and he's also a New York native, and I feel like those two in the biggest city in the United States, cultural center of the United States, I feel like that's an intriguing twenty twenty season waiting to happen. I agree, I agree, and then. Two, the Nets, which we already talked about. Three, the big wild card is the Clippers, which I could see. They have obviously the great Jerry West running their franchise, and I could see that kind of that operation flying in so many different directions. I could see them holding off for a year. I could, I could see them. I could, I could see them packaging some people for AD. Is some something people have talked about. I could see them getting Durant, Kawhi, Kyrie. Kemba maybe, even Clay Thompson. I I feel like they're a big wild card. I feel like they could they could. It's so crazy. This team could come out with like no one, or they could come out with the whole shebang bang. They could come out with KD, Kemba, and a couple of rural guys, and now this team is top two, top three team in the in the West. And I I just can't believe how good they were last year. They ran out a lineup that was primarily a bunch of uh, role guys. Yeah, a lot of a lot of randos, but they were able to put together a team that took the Warriors to six games, and now uh, they're in a prime position to move into that upper echelon of the NBA. I feel like th- this off season it's going to be so fun. I'm I'm so excited. Yeah. Uh, let's see, Dallas for they might they might go after a guy like Kemba, but I feel like they're still pumping the brakes a little bit. Uh, 
Indiana five, not not a not a huge destination. They could they could be in for like a Tobias Harris. Ooh, that'd be a good fit. I'd like that. Tobias and Victor. Oh, I think I think anyone who's sure. anyone who wants to go there might be a little scared though, because of a quad tear is a pretty significant thing. So you don't want to get stuck there with a below average Oladipo for four years. Yeah, yeah. So I could I could see them doing like a two year deal. It'll be it'll be interesting. Uh, number six, the big wild card, the Los Angeles Lakers. Mm. So, I'm I once again kind of like the Clippers and the Knicks and the Nets. They could end up with everything. They could end up with nothing. They could end up with Kawhi and Butler alongside LeBron. They could end up with LeBron and Brandon Ingram and Kyle Kuzma as his top running mates once again. I think my I, I want to see Kyrie go there. Uh, it'd be just like the cool narrative story. Yeah, that would be fun. I, I don't know if it'd work or whatever with the team they've got. Uh, that would pretty much be goodbye for Lonzo Ball and yeah. a big baller brand in L.A. Um, but, which would be a travesty for all Lakers fans. <laughs> um, but you're right. I, I don't know. I think this team is so inconsistent. And if you just saw what just happened with Magic Johnson, if you're a player like Durant and you're thinking, or Kawhi, and you're thinking, I want to go into a situation that's good for me, and you look at the Lakers, you're like, really? This looks like a dumpster fire right now. Everybody's <laughs> going into chaos. I don't know if I want to stick myself in this situation. And you've heard people in the past complain about playing with LeBron. Is <laughs> LeBron just going to get worse from here on out? You don't know. And so Lakers to me are a uh, red flag ridden place to go. A lot of very, a lot of variables there. And then rounding out the top 10, Philadelphia, Sacramento, Atlanta, Chicago. I think a lot of Philadelphia's is dependent on either, either Butler or Harris going elsewhere. Yeah. Um, if you're, if you're uh Philly, I, you're, you're in a tough place. You want to re-sign all these guys, but Butler's going to be 30. Tobias has hasn't even had a game where he's shown his potential mm-hmm. uh, because of all the star power. I don't understand why Brett Brown doesn't play Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons different times of the game. He always wants to play them together. That's a log jam. Their team has so many questions. And yeah. I, I was the I was saying before the playoffs started, this was my team to win it all. I said I think they are going to win it all this year, um, or at least make it, or at least make it to the finals out of the East. On paper, on paper, their lineup looks like a powerhouse. It does. In the, in in practice, it just it, it really doesn't quite mesh the way you'd want it to. No, I've heard I've heard Bill Simmons make up a bunch of fake trades for Ben Simmons, and like I'm thinking, if you just put him in a Giannis role, like, but like put him maybe even at center, like he's six ten, two fifty, you could play center maybe. Maybe not all night, but, like, let him run out there and just be Giannis. He doesn't get to do that because Embiid requires so much attention and so much of the offense. And he's never going to – none of those guys are ever going to show their true selves besides probably Embiid because they're all restrict each other. That, that'd be interesting, that that scenario. I feel like I feel like either Simmons or Embiid, and I think Simmons is more likely. I think he'll be on the outs – but not for a few years though. So, yeah, trying to see how that situation develops. Yeah. All right, let's move on to another topic I wanted to hit upon, and that is, oh, at the NBA Finals, one of the best times of the year in sports, uh, event with a long history. And I wanted you to, uh, kind of, what are some of your favorite memories and, and kind of classic moments in NBA Finals history? Well, um, so when I was younger, uh, I'm not going to lie, like a lot of kids, I was always a bandwagon. Like, I always liked the teams that were good. And so when I was about eight, I liked the Celtics a lot. Yeah. And I definitely remember watching the Kobe series, where 2008, the Celtics versus the Lakers, and Kobe just, like, being unstoppable, basically, <laughs> all over. And then I remember the wheelchair game. Yes. And then I heard some interesting things about the wheelchair game the truth, recently. The truth has come out. The, the truth has told the truth. 
and that the wheelchair game wasn't a result of the knee injury, but rather an unfortunate bathroom injury uh, that couldn't quite hold it in. Um, And he ended up uh, making a number two in his his game shorts. And my favorite part about that is knowing that now he came out of the locker room with a knee sleeve to sell the story that it was his knee. He came out wearing a knee sleeve and all he did was go to the bathroom. I, I saw like tweets and like there was a picture of a uh, uh, Paul Pierce whispering in the trainer's ear and the caption was, here's Paul Pierce telling another grown man that he pooped his pants. <laughs> it's so funny. And I didn't realize it um, at the time. I, when it comes to other final series, um, like, what, I, what I definitely, some... I definitely remember a lot of those iconic moments, the Ray Allen three, uh, pretty recently the block by James moment. Um, I just remember just that first finals for the Warriors in 2015, how hard Del Vadova was guarding <laughs> and then him having to go to the hospital to get fluids because he was so tired. Yeah, I was listening to that Bill Simmons podcast where I think it was Ryan Rosillo who said that he like almost died afterwards. He was Yeah, it was crazy. And like it's like just to contain one guy from making a basket in a in a game that we play, this guy had to throw his life on the line. Yes, yes, that is a reason Delvadova will always be a folk hero in Cleveland. What about like ESPN Classic YouTube type moments from before you were born? What are uh, some of your favorite highlights? Um, I think I was never a huge Michael Jordan fan. I don't know why. I just never really got into the Jordan era. Um, I really like though they showed a series. It was the Magic thirty for thirty, and they showed the Magic going up against the uh, Rockets in ninety four or ninety five, maybe. And um, that's just a cool series because it was like everybody just talks about Jordan in the nineties, and I really hadn't known much about the other teams in the nineties up until that, and. How Shaq made it. I didn't even know Shaq made it to the finals before he was a Laker until that. I didn't really know much about that. Um, I I don't know if this is the finals or not, but I think it was the playoffs when Dr. J did the big scooping layup reverse thing. I I think that was the finals. I don't quote me on that though. That's a that's a classic though. I love yeah. a, I love Jordan's uh, the midair switch against the Lakers in '91. Mm-hmm. Like Marv Albert losing his mind. Uh, what are some other ones I like? Um, I was always a big fan of that Iverson, the Iverson step over Tyron. That no, was that, one of the coolest things ever. That, that's a classic. I, the, that, the, those 2000, the 2001 playoffs, I think, are underrated. They, they were, were kind of identical to the 2019 playoffs in a lot of respects, but there were some great series there, uh, Philadelphia and Toronto, Philadelphia and Milwaukee. Yeah, that was when that was when Milwaukee ran out. Ray Allen, Glenn Rice, and uh, who was the other guy? I can't remember. Oh, his name is escaping me. Yeah, let me, let me look up that team. Either uh, this... way, Ray Allen was like in his prime, and like he was dunking on guys, like hitting yeah. like fadeaway mid-range jump shots. And like, if you're like someone our age, all you remember Ray Allen for is making threes for the Celtics and for the the Heat. And you almost forget, like, this guy was, like, a legit NBA star before he was just a shooter. Both for Milwaukee and and Seattle later on, too. Yeah. Uh, I wish – I didn't think about Seattle. They got to find a way to get a team there. I know it's been said, um, beating the dead horse, but they got to find a way to get the team there. Yes, uh, top basketball city for that 2001 Bucks team: Ray Allen, Glenn Robinson, Sam Castle, Tim Thomas, Lindsey Hunter, Irvin Johnson, not to be confused with Irvin Magic Johnson, and mm-hmm. Jason Caffey. Hmm. Yeah, that team was. I remember that team being good, and I remember there was a lot of controversy with the uh, officiating. Yeah, and- uh, Ray Ray Allen like came out after a game and said, "Yeah, yeah, the NBA they want the Sixers in the finals." Like that was that's kind of an eyebrow raising statement. I think he got fined for it. Yeah, it's it's, a, uh, it's a very classic. Rockets-esque with the Rockets now suing the NBA for the 2018 yes. Western Conference Finals. Yes, that that was a that was a strange affair. Yeah. So yes, NBA NBA playoffs, NBA Finals, a lot of a lot of classic moments over the years. And yeah. So.
let's move on to a favorite team of yours, the Los Angeles Dodgers. Mm-hmm. And, man, they are playing some good baseball right now. Yeah, uh, they do this a lot, though. They start the year off very, very hot. <laughs> the one year, they had won, like, 20 games that felt like in a row. Like, they just couldn't lose. And they had, they were, like, the first team to 100 wins. And then they lost, like, eight straight the end of the year. And I was like, oh, that's not a yeah, good thing to do, though. Before the playoffs, seventeen where they like had were on were like on pace to break uh, the two thousand one Mariners record, and they like had a bizarre twelve game losing streak, and they were they recovered and they were obviously able to win the pennant, but that was really strange. Yeah, uh, to me, a couple things have really stood out. Um, I played baseball growing up a lot, uh, basically my whole life through high school, and. Um, the way Ker- I, I always look at a pitchers because I'm a lefty pitcher, and the way Kershaw has operated this year versus and years prior is crazy to me. I, well, I haven't been able to watch a ton of games because they're West Coast, different times. Uh, ESPN doesn't always have them on, but Kershaw is relying so much on his off speed that I, I, he's throwing curveballs. He throws like two a game usually, and now that's his like third pitch he goes to. It's I've never seen him like this. Their rotation has been very interesting to me this year because it's kind of Hyung Jin Ryu. Hyung Jin Ryu has kind of come out of nowhere to be like this revelation. I'm I'm going to look at their stats right now because he's been he's his story's cool though. He was hurt for how many years in a row, and he just couldn't get healthy. And then last year. He finally had a pretty healthy year, and he suffered a little bit uh, in the playoffs. But this year, he's come out guns blazing. I saw something. His yeah. last six starts, he hasn't – out of five of them, he hasn't given up a run. And then the one he did give up a run, and he only gave up two. And he's gone like eight innings or seven innings every time. and He's just cruising. Yeah. Uh, nine and one. Uh, one uh, – hold on. Let me look in the right column. Uh, one thirty nine and one one thirty five ERA seventy one strikeouts and then advanced metrics, uh ERA plus where I think the league average is one hundred is a uh, ERA plus is three hundred ten. Yeah. So he's he's, he's been unbelievable. The whole Dodger staff has been rock solid. Uh, Ryu, Maeda, Bueller, Kershaw, and Rich Hill also. And they've gotten they've gotten some decent spot starts from a uh, stripling too so yeah my, my, my thing i always um my thing i always like to look at uh for pitching is uh i like to see the walk to strikeout ratio that's like one of my favorite things because walks mm-hmm. are kind of a big deal and the one year kershaw was at like before he got hurt in the middle of the year he was at like 130 strikeouts and like four walks it was the craziest thing i've ever seen that's ridiculous and right now, the guy who's leading the team in strikeout-to-walk ratio is Hyunjin Ryu. And yeah. look at the season he's having. 14, 14.2 strikeouts for every walk. That, that's, that, that's pretty absurd. Yeah, the one disappointment, though, has been, without a, without a shred of doubt, Joe Kelly. This guy torched us all offseason. <laughs> and we secured him so he couldn't do it again. And now he's been a business. Anything right. On ERA. Yeah. Yeah. It's been rough to watch. I wanted Urias to get some more innings too because he missed a whole year with a shoulder injury. He was 95 miles an hour with good stuff. He's like our number one prospect. Yeah. And he just, you just can't find, that's a tough rotation to break into. You're not going to take Kershaw's spot. You're not going to take Ryu or Walker. Hill has been so consistently good. And Maeda, who's been up and down, has been up. Luckily, so. And Uri- Urias has had that kind of domestic violence inquiry. So. Oh, I did not notice. I didn't hear about that. Yeah, he's. I don't. I don't think he's going to be charged, but I think right now, he's on like their their kind of version of the NFL's exempt list. So we might not see him again for a while. Dang. But obviously, the big story for the Dodgers has been Bellinger, three seventy twenty homers, kind of, like. Numbers that, like in the modern game where the league betting average is kind of decreasing, you would not expect someone to be hitting like 370. He was at a couple weeks ago, he was at 390 this late in the season. 
Yeah, uh, for me, what I've noticed with Bellinger was in the 2017 World Series against the Astros, they kept throwing him this slider that was inside, and by the time you swing, it's at your back foot, and they just kept peppering him. He had like 18 strikeouts in a seven-game series. It was it was unbelievable, and I really thought this guy's just going to be the Joey, oh, better Joey Gallo. Um, and then Joey Gallo, of course, having a great year, but better Joey Gallo, he can just hit a little bit better. And last year, he that's what he proved to me, that he just was going to be a 250 guy, hit some home runs, drive some guys in, um, strike out a lot. This year, he has been completely different. He doesn't strike out as much. He's, for as many as bats as he has, like, look at Muncie. Muncie's got 239 plate appearances, and Bellinger's got 20 more than he does. And Bellinger has like half the strikeouts that Muncie has. Yeah. Only only thirty six so far in the year. He's hitting way better than I would have ever imagined because I thought he was just a power guy for the longest of times. Mm-hmm. Um, His rookie year, obviously. And as someone who's played a lot of baseball, like I've always the biggest thing they I've heard the quote the baseball's eighty percent mental, twenty percent physical, or whatever the percentages are, and that Bellinger, they're like, hey, what do you like? I think Scott Van Pelt's like, what are you thinking when you go into the box? And he just like a lot simpler, but like it's a good simple. He's not just thinking, oh, see, hit. He's like a little smarter, but he's not overthinking. Yeah. And uh, yeah, and that's really paid off. He, I, I think we can expect him to prop. I think he's the favorite for NL MVP right now. Even though yeah. Yelich has obviously been unbelievable too, but I feel like Bellinger is the favorite. Yeah, I'd say so. I think if the, if the season ended today, it'd be Bellinger. Um, we'll have to see if he can keep this up, though. It's still pretty young in the season. If you, I don't know if you remember last year, Matt Kemp was hitting like three hundred and thirty <laughs> or something crazy for the Dodgers at this point, and then and he ended up hitting like two twenty by the end of the year. But they just cut him not long ago, I think, didn't they? Uh. Yeah, it was the – well, because, you know, Cooper, good friend Cooper, he's a Reds fan, oh, and I, we traded him uh, Matt Kemp and, it, and Puig. I forgot. And I was, like, I, I was like, yeah, have fun with these guys, Cooper. It was packaged with Puig and that weird that weird salary-dumping deal that has not worked out for the Reds who remain in last place. Yeah, and so I think Matt Kemp, apparently, he's not a good locker room guy, so the Reds cut him and then – I heard he just got picked up by, like, the Mets. Yeah, on, like, a minor league deal. Yeah, which is uh, – I don't know. He he. I always thought he was a nice guy, you know? He yeah. won an MVP. He was always, like – they always did interviews, and he seemed like a pretty good guy. But I, I had also heard that he was kind of, an, like, just like a, can, a cancer in the locker room. So, at some point, if you're losing a lot, you don't, you don't want to have those guys in the locker room. Yep. So – well, now I want to turn our attention to the big sporting event getting started today, and that is FIFA's Women's World Cup. And the U.S. national team will be seeking their fourth title in that tournament. And I wanted to ask you, kind of, would you say that the women's national soccer team is the U.S.'s best sporting export in a team sport? Would would you would you say that? Um. Um, if uh, I have two variants of this, we're talking about a global sport in uh, soccer or fo- football for all of the people out there who know it's not soccer. <laughs> uh, it, it it is our biggest pride because we're good at a global sport, a sport that we can yes. compete against everybody against. Because we have sports that we're better than, like like the joke is every year, you know, America's got the most Super Bowls. <laughs> You know, and like other like when we have these sports, especially I'm thinking of basketball, basketball starts in I think maybe the guy was from Canada. I can't remember, but either way, it starts in North America and we basically built it and other places have started to realize it, especially like China and other places in Asia. And now they're starting to get on board more. And we just dominated every year, minus the scare against Spain a couple of years ago. Yeah, Um, But we got that. But it's always I think, in... I think in our most competitive, the most competitive sport 
that uh, we can draw the most pride from is women's soccer. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Um, that I've been kind of I've been kind of reading about Sports Illustrated has had these stories since it's it's been 20 years since they famously won the World Cup on home soil. The U.S. 91, they win the first tournament, which was not widely publicized, and they get a little bit of publicity from that. And then 95, I, I believe Norway just dominated that tournament. They like, like it was something insane. Like they didn't give up a goal the entire tournament, or something like that. Hmm. Yeah, Norway. Yeah, Norway in that tournament, 23 goals scored, one goal allowed, six and zero. Wow, that that's pretty insane. Uh, they yeah. beat they beat Nigeria eight nothing. They beat Canada seven nothing. So ninety nine, the U.S. gets the World Cup on home soil, and it's it's a massive success. Thirty seven thousand people per match. Uh, before before that, there had never been a women's sporting event that was so successful in this in this country, and the U.S. They were grouped with Nigeria, North Korea, Denmark, swept those three, um, moved on to the knockout round. Uh, they beat Germany in a slugfest 3-2 in Landover. And then they went to Stamford Stadium, shut out Brazil, and then won that iconic penalty, uh, that iconic game against China in a penalty shootout. Mm-hmm. And then they kind of leveled off for a while at the World Cup. In 2003, they finished third. And 2007, third again. And then 2011, they had that heartbreaking final loss to Japan. But they were back on top in 2015. Carly Lloyd with the hat trick in the final. And now they're trying to grab another title. And I feel like, kind of that same sentiment, I feel like it's between women's soccer and men's basketball, uh, those two teams as the U.S.'s best kind of sporting export. Yeah. Um, I and I think in terms of being competitive and good, I'm going to have to lean towards the women's soccer. Just because a soccer is a sport that's, at this point, universally played. Um, maybe a little less here in the States, but universally it's known. Universally people play it. Um, but basketball is still in that process of popularizing around the world and really like, like there's no competition. Like if you go and look at like, what's the best soccer league, you have the premier league, you have like La Liga, you have like Italy's league one, you have all these competing leagues. If you ask any single person in the world who knows anything about basketball, what's the best basketball league? It's NBA and then the Euro league. That's about it. Those are the only two leagues that are even remark- remotely recognized as being good, and the NBA is way better than the Euro League. Yeah, like it's it's kind of, I mean, it, it seems counterintuitive to give to give the U.S. though like the the women. It seems counterintuitive to give women's soccer more credit for even though the men's basketball team is more inclined to blowouts, but but it's a more competitive sport. It's a less level playing field than uh, the playing field in men's basketball. I mean, look at, let me look at the, I want to look at the last Olympic tournament. Yeah. You know, what I find kind of weird is you'd never catch me watching soccer. Um, Maybe if it's Sunday morning, I'm scrolling through premier leagues on, maybe I'll throw it on for like 20 minutes, but you'd never catch me watching soccer. And there's almost like, this feeling of like patriotism or like nationalism or something. I don't even know how to describe it's it. Very cool. Um, yeah. yeah. It's like, I really want to watch them uh, and there's no reason why, like I don't even like soccer that much, but I want to watch them. And I think that also plays part of it. Like, like, like the USA men's basketball, I just know it's going to be a blowout. So it's like, if it's on, it's on, but yeah. Margins of victory in the last Olympics, 57 over China. Um, 44 over Venezuela, 10 over Australia. That was a little closer. Petty Mills dropping 30 points for the Aussies. Serbia by three. So that's a little closer, but, uh, Joe, 25 points for, uh, Joe kick. Uh, oh, yeah, I forgot he pushed on. France, we beat by three. 
a couple of a couple of randos, one from Barcelona, one from CSKA Moscow, dropped eighteen for France in that game. So, in the, if the if the men's basketball plays a competitive game, it's kind of a bit of an aberration. Whereas if the women's soccer team plays a competitive game, it's a natural byproduct of a competitive world. So I feel like while both between the dream team and the 99 team, the most important women's soccer, women's sports team in the history of this country, I, I feel like, I feel like those two are head and shoulders above like the baseball team we put in the WBC or the hockey teams we send to the Olympics with the exception of the miracle on ice team, obviously. But those th- those were all amateurs. I feel like in best and best competition, I feel like those are the two teams I'd want to roll with. Yeah, and then I want to put another point that women's soccer. It's like um, if you get invited to play for the women's soccer team, you're accepting it. Like I don't even think LeBron was on the most recent Olympic team. Yeah, if I'm not right. Like guys are like, ah, I don't know if I want to go this year. It's just uh, lots to do. I just had a long off season. I want to have this off season myself. So we like the one year we sent like like our starting power forward was kind of freed. <laughs> we don't we weren't sending our best. And um, if we really wanted to, we sent like everybody on the all NBA teams to go play. Mm-hmm. I, I I think it'd be a completely different story too. Yeah, and so um, once in a while the basketball team they'll have like an inexplicable like the Athens Olympics where they famously were waxed by Puerto Rico 92 to 73 yeah Carlos Arroyo dropping 24 for Puerto Ricans so I it's an interesting dynamic each of the different national teams uh, works in a different way I feel like and how long ago was that Puerto Rico game uh oh four Oh my god! Is that the year we lost? With uh, yeah, yeah, that was the year. In the and you know how that in the group stage we went three and two. We lost to Puerto Rico, beat Greece, but barely beat Greece by six. Beat Australia by ten, then lost to Lithuania by four, and then we rebounded to beat Angola. Then we get to the knockout stage, and in the semifinals, were we kind of we go quietly eighty nine eighty one to Argentina, twenty nine points from Ginobili to give Argentina the victory. Our leading scorer in that semifinal game was Stefan Marbury. So that kind of should have been a clue that this wasn't going far. So I think, too, apparently one of the other side stories was LeBron was on that team, but Pistons coach Larry Brown refuses to play him. Yeah. And uh, I don't, I can't remember if Larry Brown was the coach at the time, but I think the next year LeBron came out and put 27 on us in a row <laughs> to clinch out a series. So that's that's karma for you, Larry Brown. That would have been a couple years, but I don't. I don't think LeBron and Larry Brown much care for each other. Yeah, no, Larry. Larry Brown, I, he's kind of a sleazy guy. I don't know why, but he can't stay in a place for like more than three years without just like having to jump ship. Yes. All right, Dylan. Thank you for coming on here today. Thank you for having me, Patrick. It's been a while. You got the the rust off my podcast <laughs> career. This this has been a lot of fun. Uh, NBA Finals pred- prediction before you go. Prediction um, for the series. If Durant comes back, Warriors in seven. If he doesn't come back, Raptors in six. Ooh, you're you're going with the Chauncey Billups depends on Durant designation. Exactly, one hundred percent. I'm gonna take. I'm gonna say Toronto in six right now. Okay. Yep. That's where I think. All right. Thank you for coming on, Dylan. Thank you for listening, everybody. And I wish you a very good weekend.